Hello and welcome to Under the Skin with me, Russell Brand. This week I spoke to Teresa Chung, author of the book The Premonition Code, examining the science behind precognition and intuition. We have a wonderful conversation about mysticism, spirituality. It's an interesting show and I think that you'll love it. Thanks for all your comments on last week's podcast with Wim Hof. Let's have a look at those things that I've got here on what I call a comment sheet. Natasha Jaywad, Civilian Tash. This was amazing. I tried the breathing exercise alongside Rusty Rockets and Iceman Hoff. I burst into tears. Going to try and do this every day because I obviously need it, lol. Thanks for the wonderful insight. Often breathwork does make you feel emotional and I will reiterate Wim's... uh, what would you call it, a disclaimer and caution that don't do that when you're in a vulnerable position, like driving or in water or something like that, because uh, it's dangerous. But it's good, isn't it, that it processes emotion like that, that you access aspects of your consciousness, nervous system, call it what you will, that um, that need to be sort of, I don't know, metabolized, changed, worked through. Finn Piper, listen to your mind-bending under-the-skin conversation with Wim Hof flying over the Baltic Sea. Thank you. I joined the breathing voodoo until a kind Ryanair hostess saw me hyperventilating and asked me to stay calm. No transcending this time, but we did eventually descend. That's like the perfect bit of content, that, Finbar. You've tried something from the podcast, you've provided a humorous anecdote, and you've come up with a joke. Well done. Thanks, mate. Eamon, dubbed Scouse, goes, really enjoyed this episode and the links between science, shamans and the method. I did get a bit lost during the science, but I think I need to listen to it again. Yeah, have another listen to it, mate. Get through it. Try those exercises again under safe conditions. Charlie A. Kirby goes, bro romance going on. Fun to watch the chemistry between you both. Other people have talked about the the chemistry. Mother's moustache. Oh, dear God. Is the Iceman promoting Russell to walk around naked? He certainly was. Kieran Bodie, you guys vibe well. There needs to be more work together. Well, watch this space because I am planning to do more stuff with Wim Hof because I absolutely love him. He's delightful. Hey, listen, I need you to come and see me do a live show uh, in Henley on the 19th of March. That's probably soon, right? That's like next week in a few days. Yeah, come and see it. It's an amazing, intimate venue, just a little church. Imagine seeing me in a little church, my natural environment. I'll be under manners and behaving beautifully and possibly even more messianic than usual if you can envisage such a thing. Have a look at the YouTube channel for more spiritual videos and clips. Follow me on uh, Instagram, True Russell Brand, and, uh, you know, Rusty Rockets on Twitter. My latest book, Mentors, you should get it actually because it's, it's a good book. It's simple, it's an easy read. You'll zip through it and you'll laugh. And also, maybe you might want to hear it as an audio book. It's, uh, you know, you know how to get an audio book by now, don't you? Go to Audible or Amazon or something like that and just get it if you want it. And also, you can still check out Rebirth on Netflix. If you want to get in touch with me, let me know what you think about Under the Skin. You can do that, as I've said, at Rusty Rockets, Under the Skin. And you can Instagram at True Russell Brand. For information about like forthcoming shows, go to russellbrand.com. But now it's time for Under the Skin with me, the mysterious the illuminating, the kind and uh, informative Teresa Chung, uh, as I've said, author of the book Premonition Code. Let's get right into that. Trying to achieve equality with the annihilation of category is not no, a successful that, route. Yes, that, that, that's exactly right. We're in this era where it turns out we were never the boss. It doesn't look like an ideology. What's beneath the surface of people we admire, of the ideas that define our time, the history we are told. And welcome to Russell Brand. Under the skin. 
I'm here with Teresa Chung. We're talking about premonition, precognition, mysticism, and the potential for materialistic scientific understanding of those phenomena. Thanks for joining me, Teresa. Thank you so much for having me. It's a real pleasure. Can you explain to me, firstly, uh, and to obviously our listeners, what it is you do? I collect stories from people who've had um, afterlife experiences, unusual things happening in their life they can't explain rationally, and I give them a voice. I've been doing this about 15 years. Um, Before that, um, I was born into a family of psychics and spiritualists, so I had a very unusual traveling background. Um, was home educated myself, somehow landed a place at King's College, Cambridge to read theology. I think I was a kind of a poster girl for poverty at the time when I went there, because you can imagine from the background I was going into a place with Etonians. Where did you grow up? Um, I grew up in Sussex, um, um, in Selsey, oh, which yeah. is near Chichester. Um, and um, my mother was Indonesian and my father was disabled. So that's the kind of where I came from. Um, and then to suddenly land up in land in this place with so much privilege was was terrifying. I was about the only girl at the time as well. This was in the 80s. And I felt a tremendous sense of responsibility. But I've always had this calling towards spirit and learning about it. And that's what I was able to do at university. What do you mean calling towards spirit? <laughs> I've always seen beyond the material. Um, I think I did have anorexia when I was um, from about 12 onwards. And I think that is a a kind of a rejection of the material already. Um, uh, so I've In had, your case, or do you think perhaps more generally? In, I think actually any form of addiction um, is a seeking for higher meaning. And in some ways, I'm very grateful that I had that because I had it very young and I was able to work through it myself. And the only way I could work through it was by finding a higher meaning uh, that there had to be more than this life in the physical. Because if you look at anorexia, it is a rejection of the body. You don't like the physical body that you're in. So you want to be outside of it. So um, uh, I was just drawn to spirit. Also, my mother... Is it that? Do you, like, I'm very interested in anorexia. I'm interested in addiction. I had some difficulties with eating in my personal case mm. when I was adolescent. But it kind of transitioned into drug addiction which for me was a better fit for my neurosis. It was more mm-hmm. on the nose. But I feel like were drugs and alcohol not available, I might have persisted with eating problems. Curiously, in fact, when I was in treatment and I got clean, I started to make myself sick again. You know, even I was like yeah, 27. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, precisely. So this idea of rejection of the body... Mm-hmm. We illustrate that more. You mean what you just mean, like denying well, yourself nutrition? Well, fasting is a part of many religions for a start, and for a reason, I suppose, um, is to focus the mind. And and you've got to think in times past, somebody who could deny themselves food, as I could do when I was younger for weeks on end, would would have been regarded almost as religious in those days. And and I I do think that when you're denying yourself food, you are crying out for a sense of meaning and purpose. Mm. And I was able to find that through the study, first of all, with Christianity. Um, I've, I found Christianity partly because my mother was a nun before she had me, obviously. Well, I mean, yeah, um, otherwise, <laughs> uh, she, sister, can we have a word? <laughs> 
Well, that's why she left, I think. <laughs> but that's another story. But it was it, so I, I first of all, Christianity, it suddenly it was like, I get this. There's more to this life than just right here. What now? It wasn't enough for me, the material, the career, the marriage. You know, everybody said, you know, you'll just get married, have children, have a career. Just I always like it was I just didn't want that. I wanted something more. There had to be more meaning. But I looked for it externally in religion. And I think that's the first stage of when you're 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 developing. First of all, you have this stage of being when you're just are, but then you want to become something. And I tried to become something through being Christian. I, I, I actually took some time to consider my options myself. What do you mean? Spent time in contemplation to think if that was the life for me, if I, I wanted to be a nun. But I Did just you? I was very tempted. There's part of me that's even tempted now to What go, bits of it do you like being a nun? I guess it, it's the escape. Yeah, like, Life's right, tough. this didn't work. I'm going into this yeah, abbey or nunnery. Escape. Emotions are messy. Uh, life is tough. There's so much cruelty. I'm, I'm a very sensitive person. I, I react very much to cruelty. Like, sometimes I can't watch the news or the media. Any kind of cruelty to people, particularly animals, just I will literally spend days crying. So in a when way, when was the last time that happened, and Facebook, what was it? Well, that's why one of the reasons I've stopped going onto Facebook now, and I have my lovely um, publicist Lindsay, who brought me here, Lindsay Mayhew, helps me run it. Is that the images of animal, animal cruelty on there? Just I can't. I just hear it. See, someone's it blown out a birthday cake. Yeah, some people on a holiday. Someone's yeah, dinner. Dog without kitten ears. being booted yeah. into a river. Oh no! Don't show that one. Um, what was the last thing you saw that was animal cruelty that made uh, you cry? I'm going to cry now because just remembering just the, it. it was a dog who'd had its ears slashed off because it lost in a fight. And I love dogs and, and I'm getting emotional Where did now. you see that? It was on Facebook and they don't ban these images. But they, I understand why people circulate them because they want to raise awareness. But it, it oh, upset yeah. me. So I'm very highly sensitive. But what I found is that highly sensitive people, they tend to be quite spiritual as well. And the way for them to find meaning is to seek spiritual meaning as it were and I tried to seek that first of all in religion as I said I was very committed Christian obviously I read theology at Cambridge but as I was at Cambridge I was introduced to all the other world religions and it was almost like a road to Damascus moment I was in the old dusty library at Cambridge a ray of light hit me and I realized that every religion is a path to the truth but that was just one stage after that I began to realize that being spiritual you don't necessarily have to be religious and that's when I started my writing career I started to collect stories from people who were the same as me who were very very spiritual but not necessarily religious who were very very sensitive and and wanted to be givers and helpers but found the world quite a difficult place to be in they're highly sensitive people and they believe that actually about one in seven people are like that there's a book called the highly sensitive person which is really amazing read um, and in times past I suppose people like ourselves who are drawn to the spiritual would have been the shamans the healers there would have been a place in society. But today, there's no place in society for people who are like that, who want to talk about love and the power of kindness, and that maybe there's more to this life that meets the eye, or there's life after this. There's no place for people like that, particularly in the UK. For some reason, my soul placed me in the UK, which tends to be very, very cynical. As I said, most of my sales are abroad. I'm translated into like over 40 languages now. I have a lot of fan mail from overseas. But here in the UK, we're very, very cynical about Although, that Although, of course, this is a very spiritual little island, you know, yeah. Albany. Uh, yeah. The land of Arthurian yeah. myth and legend. Yeah. Sometimes I love this country very much. Oh, like yeah. The, like the land and... 
And Beautiful. actually, the people, I suppose perhaps post-colonially, this has become a place of trade and commerce and incredible dominion and domination. Yeah. But somewhere there is still like a sort of a mythic there's a sort of a mythic beauty. Oh, the Arthur legend, it's beautiful, the magic. And a part of me would just like to escape into that realm. You know, I'd like to go back to the land of um, the time before Christianity, even where the, the goddess was worshipped and all that, the, the magic, the, the druid. The, the Yeah, we are a very mystical, mystical nation, but it's it's being hidden at the moment. But what I'm seeing from the mail I get is that there's this urge within people to to express their spirituality, mm. but it's considered ridiculous. I mean, you, you know, the hate mail I get as well. What? You, know, you get hate mail? Oh, my goodness. Don't open it. Hello. Well, you can't. No, when you go... I hate you. <laughs> yeah. I hate you. Well, they think of oh, this silly... Best wishes, Clive. No, well, they do. I mean, I only went, I hate, I was always an invisible writer because I, I very much live what I preach. I think that... I used to think, well, I used to think that if you're a spiritual writer, people find your book when they're ready, right? You shouldn't be pushing. I mean, I even feel comfortable here with having the books on the table. It's not who I am. I don't like it. I think spirituality is something people must find when they're ready. I suppose it's like you with your life. You went through a massive journey and then you found it when you were ready. If somebody had said to your 20-year-old self all the truths that you're learning now, would you have listened? You had to go through that. I don't think I'd have listened to anything they said. I was exactly. very, very busy. Like I know. I, they could have said anything other than your hair looks great would have not have penetrated my aura of carefully cultivated narcissism. Are you still struggling with that? The narcissism. You know that's a men medical disorder, mental disorder now. Um, that it's about. But you could be so bloody interested in your haircut that you can't focus well, on the world what narcissism is is the death of empathy isn't it and i think that's oh, no, what i don't happening. think i've got that no i don't no. think i've got narcissism in that sense i mean more in the mythic kind of like sort of i am a looking in the, your reflection and being sort of fascinated and lost in kind of god i can't believe i'm an actual person like that person in the mirror and it kind of vacillating between a kind of a loathing and a sort of an odd kind of infatuation so if, if in fact you know you can apply to the condition of anorexia its potential of being a sort of a self-imposed an annihilation of the body a rejection yes, of nurture to be pure spirit then possibly mm. all mental illnesses are sort of an essential quest to find a truth not catered for by conventional rational materialistic systems so through that the narcissism i think it's sort of like a am i really here what is this how come i'm wedded to this anatomical structure yeah and it doesn't bring joy does it it doesn't bring you the joy and fulfillment i mean it's all very exciting but it doesn't bring you that that deep peace deep joy and peace although it's very tempting i mean <laughs> is that what you think we're after Teresa? Mm. deep joy and peace no i think we're here to learn and sometimes learning hurts. Um, there's wisdom through pain. And I, that's when I, because I get, the mail I get is from people often, they're going through terrible times in their life. They've lost a child or uh, they've been with someone 30 years. The love of their life has died. And they, what do I do now with the rest of my life? That's the kind of mail I get. And it breaks my heart because there's no one else they can write to. Um, well, there is. But they seem to write to me. And it's, 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 it's lovely that they do, but it's nowhere to go to talk. Because if they go to a doctor, they just get a pill. An antidepressant. Counseling has its limitations. Um, a lot of people want that sense of connection to spirit. And my dream, that's why the work I'm doing now, is to work with scientists to, um, and, and 
to actually one day have scientifically validated mediums, psychics, healers, working alongside people to help them cope through these awful life crises. Because let's face it, people read my books when they're unhappy. I mean, they don't tend to read them when they're feeling great. They, they read them because their life has lost all sense of meaning and hope. And I write back to every single person I do. That's I spend most Even of my Even the hate mail. I yeah. absolutely yes. hate you. Love Clive. Yeah, but they hate Clive, me for a reason. I was flattered to receive your Who is Clive? hate mail. I don't know, it's just that he seems like the name He's I somebody in your have. life, right? You, nothing's random. Why did you bring nothing's Clive? Nothing's random. Yeah, I, I, I don't random. think so. I think that everything... What about that? What about this pen? <laughs> is that random? What about this? <laughs> no, nothing. I, I believe that there is a, a tapestry and, a, and of meaning means... behind things. Yes. Yeah, of course, everything's a pattern. I get that. There's a well, great it's like big the explosion. Of the everything's tapestry, moving right? outward. It's all knotsy, not, knots and loose ends, right? I don't, I don't, I don't, when I see a tapestry, Teresa, I don't immediately flip yes. behind it and have a look at the yeah, other side. You'll life. get thrown out of the museum. Russell, that's this life, is the underside. In heaven or the afterlife or spirit is when you turn it over and you see the bigger picture. And I think that's what spirit is when we connect to our higher self. That is this part of us that sees the bigger picture. I like this analogy that possibly the sensory realm is limited to the frequencies upon which it is broadcast. Yes. Yes. And your interest is in the liminal spaces that are not necessarily the entirely understood. The invisible and the unseen, the possibility of magic. For some reason now people just want to say magic doesn't exist, that it's, it's not possible for our spirits to survive death and all that. And all, my, all, all the books I've done, because I'm a bit of a serial writer. I've written so many books. It's ridiculous. Um, yeah. I've written over 100 books. Get it's, lost. You've not written 100. Have, I have. Two a year, I do. I'm very blessed. Bloody I've, hell, mate. You're churning them out. They they all took me on. Schuster, HarperCollins, Random, um, all of them. Um, this is just the the latest in what I'm doing. But so the, Let's talk about what we think is important here, Teresa. You're very interested in precognition, like the powers of the intuition, the non-rational, non-materialistic activity of consciousness. And you're one, just one aspect. And you're also interested in the journey of consciousness beyond material death. Now, you, but the area you're moving into is trying to underwrite these ideas scientifically. What success have you had? Give us some good examples of that, because I think that's what people want. Well, the science. Give I us some examples of where the science and the mysticism wed together in ways that will help rational uh, people to sort of go, oh, okay, maybe. Well, I'm not a scientist, so forgive me well, if I can't Well, clearly not. I've written a hundred books called things like <laughs> no, Dragons from Space. <laughs> <laughs> that was a joke. All right. All right Comedy. No, no, I'm a comedian. I know, I know. Um, but it's wonderful that you, can, you have that and now you can be a voice for something more meaningful. Anyway. That's the trouble with you. You're such a big personality. It's very hard to stay focused. Okay, focus now, Teresa. Okay. What was the question, Russell? Uh, examples of where the mysticism and the science coalesce so that people looking at this from a sceptical or indeed okay, cynical perspective okay. can go, oh, yeah, that does sound good. I can only go from my personal perspective and then I will bring in my work and what I've done with these great hardcore scientists. I'm now working with them. Um as I said, I, I started off, I love writing, that's how I express myself, and I started off being a ghostwriter for lots of celebrities, like yourself, but not yourself. But, you know, so I, I, I've been in that world, but I always Talk about to that. This is getting yes. to the science. Talk okay, about ghostwriting for yeah, I know, I'm just Ian trying to Botham. 
try and explain the journey. And then I was given the opportunity to write about spirituality and collect people's stories. So I did that for years and years and years. The criticism I always got is two things. You're not a practitioner. I don't claim to see angels or talk to dead people myself. I don't. I believe in it and I believe in it as possible. And the second criticism, which you're moving on to now, is where is the science? And I used to say to them, well, it's just a matter of belief. For people who have faith, you don't need proof. But that was becoming increasingly a weak argument. So about a couple of years ago, I decided I was going to put myself on the line. I was going to reach out to some scientists who are actually studying this. And it blew my mind. Go on. Who like? Are they good? Well, the Institute of Noetic Sciences in the States with Dr. Dean Radin um, is the lead scientist Noetic. There. What does Noetic that mean? means, oh, that's fantastic. It's the inner world. No, inner world. They study. These How are scientists. How do I spell that? No, is there a G N-O-E. in the beginning? N-O-E. T-I-C. Noetic. No. The inner world. Yeah. It's actually was that institute was the inspiration for Dan Brown's The Lost Symbol. Um, and I reached out to them thinking, oh, they're going to ignore me because I'm just a writer who talks about angels and psychic animals and all that. And they were very welcoming. And I said, I want to do something to help you get your research out there because their research was making waves in, in scientific journals, what they were doing. Research into the afterlife, research into channeling, research into precognition, all these kind of things. And I said, I want to do something to help you get your message out there because what people don't realize is this research is all hidden it's it's repressed the scientific community doesn't want it particularly to get out there what bit of research specifically is being hidden that would change the perspectives of people that are cynical about mysticism well first the research done at two institutions the windbridge institute and the institute of noetic sciences now the windbridge institute is studying afterlife communication Mm -hmm. the research they've done into mediums there has given rates of accuracy that is as as really raised eyebrows and if people want to check it out it's the windbridge institute dr julie byshaw she was what did they do they basically basically the dr julie byshaw was a pharmacist and she was testing drugs and she thought what if we test mediums in exactly the same cold clinical way that Mm. we test drugs Mm. right and that's exactly how she said blind testing exactly which had never been done before but i'm not going to do celebrity mediums i'm going to do mediums who don't necessarily do it for money or for the best-selling book. I'm going to do people who, who, who are working in spiritualist churches and do it because it's their vocation, their calling. Go on. And how and many you, did about they eight, get? Absolutely amazing. About eight out of ten accuracy. And there's more research ongoing. How many ongoing. were there? How many? This double-blind testing, how many mediums? I think several thousand. They, As I said, I'm not a scientist. They found several thousand mediums. They did double-blind testing and sort of said to, like, well, ask them what's on the other side of that wall or what's going to happen and to this person. And the accuracy was astonishing. Another study that was done was of um, by the Institute of Noetic Sciences where they had photographs of people who are alive and people who are dead. And they asked the mediums to accurately say who was still with us in human form and who was still with us in spirit, and the results were amazing. So this kind of research is going on. Yes. However... Lady Diana with no, Churchill. No, there were people that you, you couldn't <laughs> tell. Joking. No, so, I know. Um, they, they were, uh, so that, there's that study. There's, of course, Dr. Dean Radin, his, his very complicated um, double slit experiment, which uh, you need a book to describe. I'm not a scientist. I'm a theologian. I know. I'm Don't keep going saying you're not a scientist. I know you're not a scientist, and you mustn't worry about that. We've, we can get scientists. They're ten a penny. They're wandering around. Outside there now, there's people doing experiments on mice that would bend your bones yeah. just out in the street the, the but, biggest research that i that i've highlighted in this book um my latest book which is with dr julia mossbridge who's from the institute of Neurotech sciences now she's a fascinating lady because she studies the reality of precognition and she has proved 
through like intuiting something no sensing the future before it happens yeah. seeing the future and we have in this book all the very latest research into precognition do you want to pick your grape up not really no. <laughs> a bit but not enough i could tell though tell that you me, to... like, like, yes too much admin but tell me give me the example of the um well someone uh, seeing into the future that has been demonstrably well, what, proven at the moment because well, like him Mulder or scully whoever it is at the x-files i want to believe but in this interview there's no point in me like the two of us sitting here like a couple of little kittens purring about ghosts Agreed. and tunnels of light or wildly no. misinterpreting the findings of the double slit experiment which you know quantum physicists they're very protective over yes. that and what is and, and the no, potentialities agree. and stuff. So, what like you know? But I do agree that the material world is but one tiny strata of ultimate reality. How could it be otherwise? So, but so like, give us some good examples of this future scene stuff that's uh, in this particular well, book, the, the premonition code. That Dr. Mossbridge, she's the science in the book. So it's a very unusual combination between a mystic and a, and a hardcore scientist. And bit like X Files, it is. Um, anyway, Dr. Mossbridge um, is studying, along with Dr. Radin, a, um, presentiment, which is basically the body sensing something happening before it does. And they would show cards to people. Some of the cards would have images of scary things happening and others would have images of comforting things happening. And before the cards were shown, they were able to show with wiring them up that the body could sense mm. eight out of ten times with accuracy when an alarming image was going to come before it happened. And that is at the moment when people say, where is precognition research? It's in the body. Mm. And I, I, I can know that for myself. I've had... Um, uh, for example, I was, there was a meeting and I had to send a text about a meeting and my hand started to uncontrollably shake before I sent the text and the meeting was a disaster and everything. Things like that. The body has an innate awareness of the future before we have. And that is where science at the moment is finding it very exciting, um, the research into precognition. And that's what this book is, is talking about, your bodily awareness of something happening before it happens. Like kind of kinesiology, like the in mm. intuitive intelligence of the body, which is sort of yes. used somewhat to determine and diagnose potential allergies. You think that there's a, an intelligence in the body there that is can an be intelligence utilized. In the body. That's that's something that we need to tune into, and that's one of the exercises we do. So, what work have they done to track this intelligence in the body that's demonstrated here? Well, they keep on doing studies into it, and each time the studies are more encouraging. I mean, you could ask, are they not biased? These scientists studying it. That's what I asked. But no, they're not, because first and foremost, they're scientists, right? And they will report if an experiment is inaccurate. Hmm. They have to, because they're scientists before they're believers or non-believers. I suppose there's, like, bias in all science. You know, if it's sort of funded by pharmaceuticals or if it's funded by corporations, it's likely that the findings will be favourable. You know, bias is sort of a necessary component of all narrativized research. But um, but that doesn't mean that we'll be sort of sceptical about this research. We're talking about an area that's really, really interesting. Oh, the, the, the science is there. That's what I want to know. And this book is to show people the science is there. And everybody, and I'm sure there will be comments on this, about James Randi. You heard about the James Randi prize. Um, no. you, James Randi? Well, he was a magician who set up a prize decades ago saying I'll offer a million pounds to anyone who can prove, prove to me anything. psychic powers are real and that I have been had that thrown in my face so many times if what you write about is real Teresa and not just a figment of your imagination or wishful thinking why has nobody ever won the James Randi prize yeah. right because he did and loads of psychics went up and they all failed 
And he, he was basically, that was always considered proof that psychic He was a right old Grinch, wasn't he, James Randi? My name's James Randi. I'm setting up a prize to expose the lies of the psychic well, no, community. Well, no, he stalked Yuri Geller. Um, he, I'm he, stalking uh, Yuri Geller. because he wanted to prove that Yuri Geller was... was what have you was, done was to my what? spoons? Yeah, he basically, wherever Yuri Geller went, James Randi, there was a very brilliant film he called... He should be in... James Randi sounds like a real pest. Were well, it not for his lovely surname, I think I'd lose all sympathy for him. He wrote uh, his, the, the film about him, An Honest Liar, actually. I really recommend it. It's a brilliant. You actually see he's actually a very kind, sensitive person. He's a truth seeker like everyone else. He's just right. trying to, to find his truth. But nobody's ever won that prize. So in this book, we decided we were going to set up our own scientifically controlled experiment in global into the reality of precognition. And that's what we set up on www.thepremonition.com. How did it go? It's just starting to running. We're getting about 500 to 1,000 hits a day of people doing the scientifically controlled yeah. scientifically controlled um, uh, uh, exercises there yeah. and we're going to see because what happens if pe we were very much inspired by the movie Minority Report pre-cogs you know mm, yeah Tom they were sat in that room and yeah. also what about John Ronson's uh, The Men Who Stare at Goats like John Ronson's looked into the American military's research into psychic oh, phenomena didn't he and well stuff. actually I do know Yuri Geller I've been round to his house and I'm in touch with he's a friend he's not far from here is he Yuri he's in Geller. Israel now the reason I brought him up, there was a reason, is that he was involved with the CIA mm. and they tested him and some of the studies done on him. For example, there's an experiment, he was put in a room and they asked him to draw what was on the other side and he drew a bunch of grapes and it was a bunch of grapes. Now, you could say it's Hold guesswork. Hold on a minute, we've got grapes in here. <laughs> Yuri, you've done it again! <laughs> but he said that the George Clooney character in the film was based on the research done on Yuri Geller. He was asked to go into a room and there was a pig there and they said, we want you to try and stop the Kill pig's heart with, with your, your mind. And, you know, uh, whether you believe it or not, I don't I can't know. can't imagine that Yuri Geller would have been up for that, would he? I think for he'd start, be up for quite a it's lot. kosher. Get me something else to kill with me mind. But they were actually, they were actually, actually thinking of doing that. I and mean, you actually see photographs of him at very key moments in in American history. Actually, it's quite interesting. I mean, his life is fascinating. He is a fascinating example of of I don't know what, but you know, somebody who could just bend spoons to become world famous. There's some some magic there, isn't there? Yeah, there's actually. Um, but uh, he was himself. actually thinking about it now. I met him a few times, and he was lovely. I just very sweet that. guy. Yes. Yeah, he was nice. I remember Yuri Geller now. Hold a sec. Um, so, look, none of us dispute that there are limitless realms of consciousness inaccessible unless you are willing to undertake certain rituals or take certain psychedelics. We live perhaps in a time where many, many people are becoming disappointed with the limitations of the material world. Many people are becoming uh, disappointed with the solutions being offered by our existing uh, structures, so primarily our existing social structures and our existing belief structures. But I feel for us to make realistic, meaningful headway, we have to sort of find some interim language that can help people access spirituality, that won't make them balk. At, the, at, at spirituality I feel like this being a podcast that primarily that people that listen to this may be discerning somewhat circumspect but I sense a real hunger in people for something more for a, uh, for more meaning for purpose for a, a life that um, ha has ambitions that extend beyond materialistic goals prescribed by a materialistic society so what do you think Teresa are, are the next steps we can take in helping people to access this information i would love i mean i would love it to be taught at school how would that be 
just to have a, a lesson on, on what really matters in life, what the true meaning of life is. I mean, you're taught so much at school that is totally irrelevant. And to just be taught these things that you are more than your thoughts and your feelings, you can step outside them, you can observe yourself, you can, <laughs> that what really matters in life. And I, I don't think that that's being taught in schools about how to manage life. People just go out there so totally unprepared, especially the younger generation today with social media. I mean, social media has, has is some great things about it, but it's made everybody so narcissistic, as you say, and, and materialistic. And it, it makes me cry because people write to me wanting answers and wanting hope because there's nobody ever told them because we used to go to religion didn't we that's where we, at least religion had many many faults but at least it gave us some moral guidelines and structure now that's off the cards for the majority of people i think there's some quite funny things then mm. like with the moral guidelines don't be gay first <laughs> true but it gave some kind of is a moral guideline don't be gay no that's christianity um, i know i know i know I, what you mean like i i am of the same view as a matter of fact that the um I, my belief is be quick to see where religious people are right you know we all know where they're wrong with the extremism the radicalism the bigotry and the misogyny and the patriarchy etc mm. but where are they right? Oneness, kindness, love, the possibility of realizing different frequencies of consciousness and how that will lead to different types of behavior. But in a sense, the problems are not problems of religion, but problems of the way that we organize structures, the way that power operates. Most religions ultimately get bent into structures that manipulate and control people. But the, and the original ideas get somewhat lost in that. So if we are to provide new ways of accessing spirituality, love connection i wonder how we firstly avoid the problems of conventional religion i.e obsession with power the cult of personality uh, subjugation domination etc um, but also i feel look one of the problems is going to be is we can't you know wind the clock back on post-enlightenment thinking and materialistic no. rationalism so that's the what you're interested in is trying to underwrite scientifically phenomena that is mysterious um, but and yet you know as you say the cynics will uh, recite that no one has won the randy prize although i had a good go from the 1998 <laughs> to 2010 that's quite a good joke the randy prize i get it i get it thanks <laughs> So what, like, so yeah, I'm holding here your book, The Premonition Code. Now, what, uh, what do you think in particular within this book are useful? It's an experiment here. It says this one, uh, there's one here for, uh, like, I think for testing your own sort of psychic powers. Oh, yes, that's, that's in conjunction with the website. But it is scientifically controlled because the books I've done before have always been like... <sighs> follow your intuition, interpret your dreams, tap into your feelings, all that. But we haven't had anything with hardcore science in mm. it. So we're going to work with the website. There's six steps that you go through in the websites. Because what you're going to do is you're going to precognitively sense an image that's going to randomly be selected by the computer. Ooh. Yeah. And the people who score higher than chance will earn a place in our Hall of Fame. Is higher than chance 50-50? Oh, no, no, no. At least 80%. It would be at least 80%. So the people who Chance score... could be 80% right. You could be 80% yes. right by chance. It's so difficult because there are thousands of images in that computer that it could be. And the people that are scoring higher will enter our Hall of Fame and eventually can earn themselves the title a scientifically validated precog. And the scientists would like to study these people to see about the powers of the brain. The same thing is happening I did with a, a previous book of mine. Have you done it? I'm I I haven't 
You don't claim to have these I wish I do. There's powers. some writers, I mean, in our movement who do say that they can see angels and and speak to dead people, and I can't say that I have powers that I haven't. That's a shame. I'd love some of those, wouldn't you? The cities, they're called in yogic terms, you know, levitation, yeah. delving into different realms of reality. But it's interesting, actually, being a writer in this realm, how you're kind of forced into pretending you've got that. And that's why it's so dangerous. There are so many frauds in this industry because... Say you've had an intuitive hunch and it's proved correct and then you write a book about or an article about it and everybody wants you to be psychic. It's like everybody wants someone to follow. And that's, I think, must be happening with you at the moment. I think you could, with your status, doesn't it not the power go to your head? I mean, if you say something, people listen and would follow you. People want someone to follow. But always with my books, people asking me to, to demonstrate these powers, to bless them or whatever... And I always say, no, you must have your own, be your own guru. I carry out blessings whenever requested. Yeah, but some Someone people wants a blessing, do. I dish it right out. But it's, it's, it must it's only be love, isn't it? A blessing. In, I, like someone it goes, is. give us a blessing. I go, you know what? Right. But the Bang, pe people who follow that. you love you. And love is, is in short supply in this world. And you may be the only person that they do really love. And that's, you're awakening that within I think within you were quite them. close to saying the only person that can solve this riddle, Russell. Is Russell Brand. So Isolate that, we've got it, right. <laughs> <laughs> no, but what I'm saying, in a way, is, as long as it doesn't go to your head, which I'm sure it won't, because you've learned, you know, you have, you I'm really inspire. trying to, my level best, Teresa Chong, to transcend as best I can my egoic limitations. But it's difficult, of course, because the place from which I perceive them are them. So well, what like I'm Saul, trying to do you? is I'm not like Saul. So Paul, he became, you know, I'm the road to not Damascus. Like no. the, the, if anything, the road to Dagenham. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he was all right, wasn't he? But was he? there a moment when you just like, aha? Uh, I, I was about constantly, aha. For example, Take On Me, the video where it was a little, <laughs> you're so sweet, aren't you? What an open-hearted woman you are. Um, yeah, I would say that, that uh, my life is uh, riddled with epiphany. Like that, I'm continually thinking. Are you going to addicted thinking, to the epiphany now? Oh, I can't get enough. I mean, exactly. I am very addicted. Like, and I agree to a point with your analysis that forms of it. Like, I'm careful when talking about anorexia because I know so many people that are so severely affected by eating disorders and drug addiction that I don't ever want to say anything that makes their like. Sometimes they people feel that a medical and scientific approach is like a necessary protocol. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's respectful, but I do feel that. Many mental health conditions are experienced as a result of a lack of uh, a spiritual framework, which we possibly can even distill down to love, that we need different kinds of love. But like, I'm not suggesting that people who've got relatives that have got anorexia, they've not loved them. It's just like people are looking for a different type of connection. Lack of, I mean, I think the foundation is self-love. That's the first thing I think people with addictions it's struggling. So with. how That's did you get through that? You, earlier on, when we we're talking about your anorexia, sorry to talk over you, Teresa, I apologise for that. Um, how did you get through that anorexia and to a point of self-love? Was there any Damascene Find, moments for you? Finding a meaning. I'm going to get yeah. that grape. Good. Are you going to eat it? It's, it's dirty, you know. I'm sure grew that they, out of a I tree. Should, I know, but you Came out of nothingness and burst into blueberry. <laughs> it was a moment, I write about this in my books, actually. It was a shaft of sunlight. Go on. I, I just, a shaft of sunlight hit me and I wanted Where to were live. You? I was at home and I just got up and I... I went to the window and the sun hit me and it was so beautiful. And um, this sounds... <laughs> Doesn't say something wrong with that. And it was as simple as that. And I wanted to live. It was a slow progress. Before that, you sort of felt like you wanted to die. Oh, yes. 
But then maybe we talk about, you know, inheriting things. My, my mother uh, attempted suicide. So most of my life was spent outside a therapist hearing my mother crying. So that's the difficult thing to grow up with, you know. Did I'm you not have siblings? Doing or yeah, my, I have a brother, yes. Mm. Yes, yes. So you spent a lot of time listening to your mother's your mother's dissatisfaction with material life, with, with familial life. life. Yes, yes. And just, of course, she was a, a nun as well. So it, it, there's a lot of pain. And I think you inherit that pain. And I think as we go through she the She was like a Christian nun in Indonesia, some no, no, no. She was in Indonesia, then the Japanese um, sent her into her family into concentration camps. And being a child, she was put on a ship into Holland and... Yeah, a very traumatic life. Um, she was shaked because shook because she was shot at. You know, so you know that that but that she was just one story. That generation had tough time. The war savaged lives, destroyed families. You know, and um, she married. My father was disabled and autistic. So that's not an easy. What was going on? What do you mean disabled and autistic? If I'm, well, he, don't he was asking. born. He was crushed in the room, and so he was. Yeah, disabled, um, and could never work because of that. And is he alive, your father? No, they're both past my parents. But I've, I've had they have visited me in dreams, and I've Honestly. had better conversations with them in dreams than. What do you think that is? Do you think when you dream like that about someone that's passed over, do you feel like it's an aspect of your own consciousness that was connected to them, or do you think that it is a visitation from their essence? There are two types of dream. There are symbolic dreams, which is. Um, a bit like your in-house therapist which is advising you in your life where everything in your dream like you know that movie Inception my favourite movie when everybody stares at the dreamer yeah. uh, it's fantastic isn't it the dream world is so brilliant where you get advice and guidance about issues in a symbolic language however there are certain dreams a rare category of dreams which I call night visions which are so realistic um, that they fall into the category, I believe, of an afterlife visitation. And if you speak to mediums or whatever, dreams are the very first way that the departed will try subtly and gently to communicate with us and just allow that communication to happen because it can be very, very comforting. Yeah, I think it's it's pretty amazing, isn't it? Because like we in this world, there is so much cynicism, scepticism, materialism and pain. And yet every night, most people disappear off into some world of wonder <laughs> without question, well, the world, where the dead I, can visit you, where your ego roams freely, where your id romps about madly. It's brilliant, the world of dreams. And, and uh, I think we die every night. And there's actually a tribe, actually, which doesn't sleep tries not to sleep they just nap because they say when, <laughs> when you sleep we'll when, have a nap when no the, the Parar tribe I think and they're one of the happiest I'm knackered get up but they believe that when you go to sleep actually your old self dies and when you wake up you're reborn and they refer hey, if they do I think fall, they're right this tribe because don't you sometimes wake up and think like there's a bit where you go I don't know who I am actually and then you go you're Russell now put your hat on like it takes a little while to reassemble who you are and sometimes yeah, you think I might not bother I'll stay as this guy only nap they only nap, um, um, <laughs> and if they do fall asleep, they only nap. I mean, if they're knackered and they fall asleep for eight hours, they call themselves by a different name. They rename themselves. It's a new, You're a new you. Yeah. Where are they? I like the Parar tribe. If you look it up, well, P I South America. Got yeah. to be Latin American, aren't they? And there's another tribe called the Sanoi tribe where dream interpretation is central, that children from the age of three or four are encouraged in the morning to sit down. The first thing they do is they dissect their dreams because the idea is that if you can control your dream life, 
But do you think a person can analyse their own dreams? Because yes. isn't it you're trying to analyse it with the analytical tool? Isn't it a bit like a serpent eating its own tail? I mean, when other people tell me their dreams, I think I have a understanding symbolically of what it means. And this already has crossed into the realm of science. You know, Jungian and Freudian analysis is dependent on that. And Campbell, Joseph Campbell, of course, says that myths are public dreams. Dreams are private myths. That there's a language of dreams that's demonstrable mm-hmm. all over the world. Of course, whilst there may be some symbols that are personal, while there may be some motivations, that are residual from the day's activity. There does seem to be sort of a common alphabet of dream imagery. And of course, you've written a, an encyclopedia of dreams there, haven't you? And I like this idea that when you get up in the morning, you just go, right, well, but my dreams, they're too amorphous and crazy, Teresa, to like analyse Well, properly. tell me one of your dreams. They get lost on a podcast. <laughs> they're actually crackers. Are now, they? hold on. All right. Well, this was a good one. I went away to... This isn't mm. the dream. This is reality, this bit. Well, what I went that away dream to, you're going to say? Well, I'll give you context. Okay, okay. Right, Meduve, it smelled of Lenore. Like, I went, oh, like we went to my wife's, uh, her parents' house, right? And we stayed there. And I had this really, and I was going through lots of uh, sort of a div- like sort of social and professional divorce-like activity, right? Where I was, a lot of relationships were ending with a lot of people that I've been very embedded and possibly to use a codependent word, enmeshed with, right? And then I dreamt that night that, uh, that this very vi- like a lot of my dreams do not feel optimistic. There's quite a lot of fear, I think, in my dreams. Fear and sort of a sort of a sort of a sort of an insipid, uh, grey anxiety. But this dream was very vivid, and all of the fields near where I live had been cut into these glorious geometric patterns. Like the like, and I like I really liked the overview of these geometric shapes cut into the corn, almost like crop circles, but multi-layered and multi-dimensional. Right. And I thought, I like this feeling. I woke up and when I got back to the house, the field had been the harvest had been taken while I've been gone. So I went, cool. The the different realms are colliding in my consciousness. All is good. All is God. What does that mean? It's basically field of dreams, isn't it? Possibilities. The field of dreams. I think when you. On the new Costner. I will always love you. When when you. um, Oh, dear. When you. um, uh, Come on, tell me. When you ha- your dreams become more calm and optimistic, I think that will help you in your everyday life as well. You need to go to bed with set the intention of I will I will have a wonderful dream. You can program your dreaming oh, yeah? mind. Yes, you can. You can actually. Have you ever woken up in a dream or in your dream where you actually know you're dreaming? Yeah, I've done that a couple of times. Oh, it's brilliant. Can fly anywhere, do anything. I once done a film dream where I was dreaming in the dream. Then I woke up in the dream. Went, oh, that was a mad dream, and I was still dreaming. Like a film. So what's the point of dreams? Where are we? What's going on? Yeah, where are we? It, it's, it's, that's spirit for me. That's a, a part of us that is inexplicable, invisible magic. And it's what I've dedicated my life to studying, researching and collecting people's stories on. So what do you reckon after all this research? What do you think? We sh- how should we be using dreams? We should be using dreams to inspire and guide our life and, and to let us know that there is magic and possibility in everyone and everything. Um, well, the possibility to realise different worlds using different resources, like yes. as in we don't need to repeat the cycles of linear progress, no. that the no. teleology of normal social life, industrial revolution, technological revolution, improvements in medicine, poor getting poorer, rich getting richer, but the general standard of life's improving, infant mortality's down to... Da, 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 da. Well, what's everyone so fucking miserable then? 
like, so like if you think that from the realm of dreams we can access information that will alter really radically alter us, our human really experience. help us and the thing is as in anything in life like the law of attraction the more you think about dreams the more likely you are to dream oh, same with precognition studies have shown that the more people read about precognition think about it the more likely they are to experience it and it's like in any realm of life learn about it in you know, fall in love with it and it will reward you. And I think that's what people are looking for at the moment. What is being offered right now for especially our young generation just isn't enough. Even, you know, the money, career, fame, it's not enough. They need something more. And I think they could look for more in finding meaning and in helping others and in a sense of magic and possibility. I agree. Now, what, what, how, do you, how do you think these young people can cultivate a sense of meaning cultivate a sense of meaning well first how how hmm. oh my goodness big question what about from all these books are you saying is useful may i take this back again don't give it a little pat like that <laughs> which like, how can they cultivate a sense of uh meaning using some of the stuff that you've learned from your experience well what you learn is that when you start having more accurate precognitions for example you have a dream and it plays out in your daily life, which you can kind of train yourself to do. There are exercises. When that happens, you begin to realize there's more to me, there's more potential to me, there's more about me than the obvious. That is so exciting and you can start developing that. Um, How? First of all, keeping a record of it, tracking your dreams, keep a dream journal. Second, paying attention to the messages that your feelings send you. We, we stifle our feelings through food, through, through money, through all sorts of things. Start tuning into your feelings. That, that, those kind How of, do you tune into your feelings? Let them flow through you. Don't deny them. That's one of the things with spirituality at the moment. It's like, you know, is spirituality always being happy and content all the time? I don't think it is at all. Spirituality is allowing the full human experience to wash over you. Because that's why we're here, I believe, to experience everything thing that we can and to learn and grow through it and in some lifetimes if you believe in reincarnation we learn and grow more than others but that's why we're here to learn and grow and feelings are the biggest and greatest teacher and sometimes they're hard and they're horrible but that's how we we move forward so you say that there's lessons in what we feel even if it's negative feeling like say for example yes. envy or feeling bad can be good sometimes yes. go on give feeling us an bad example can be good because you start realizing what's really important to you because it's a wake-up call, isn't it? Something about my life isn't fulfilling me. That's why I'm feeling bad. Go on, give us an example. Well, if you're, you're in a job and you're waking up depressed every morning, there's a big sign, you know, that your job perhaps isn't rewarding and fulfilling and you need to do something to alter that. People are a bit afraid to change the job. Yeah. So how do, they, how do you translate these negative feelings into positive action? <laughs> Find something you love. Find meaning through something you love. Meaning is what makes us human. If you've read that wonderful book by Viktor Frankl, Man's Search for Meaning, when he was in the uh, concentration camps, how do you survive when you're in a concentration camp and you're treated like an animal? And he found meaning through feelings of love for his wife at the time and through knowing that his spirit could not be captured. And that's how, I mean, someone can survive a concentration camp and come out with joy and hope just having a terrible job. Yes, Shouldn't this book of uh, Viktor Frankl is obviously a sort of a, a, a masterpiece and a great emblem for the power of the spirit. Um, perhaps the condition of most people lacking the extremity of the horrors of the 
Holocaust becomes, it, it, we face a different type of challenge in that I feel perhaps people's horizons are being lowered by the dr drab monotony of an e experience determined by consumerism. I feel that most people that don't leave relationships or don't leave jobs is because of a sense of uh, an inability to connect with a positive outcome. You know, I think mm. that there is possibly a a lack of hope that people feel like, well, this is what life is. And I also feel that there is a, that we are governed by unconscious behaviors. Now, when we're talking about dreams, no one would query that this is activity of the subconscious or possibly unconscious mind. And most, I feel, people are governed by um, behaviors that to which they are not entirely connected. Like if you're doing a job that you don't enjoy, you're in a relationship that you don't like, mm. There's no, it sometimes takes crisis of some kind before people are willing to address the possibility of change. Now, I wonder if there is a way as individuals and as a society that we can preempt or perhaps um, prevent the possibility of personal crisis and social crisis by tuning into these feelings it's almost like people need to slow down eh and be mm. still and hear what's happening in at their heads to be t i understand what you're saying and also I s we need that sense of crisis sometimes i mean somebody put a gun to your head and said you know you've got one day to live and <laughs> could it be a wednesday <laughs> Wednesdays. But it's true. I mean, I've always... Christmas. Something that's always been poignant for me when you hear about these terrible accidents and you think these people all got up like this morning thinking they were going to have a, have a normal day and then it's gone. And if we could see, keep that sense that we every moment of our life is a privilege and a blessing. You do not know. I mean, you could walk out, Russell, of this don't podcast. Me as an example. I could be the last person you talk. No, but I'm saying, you know, you might don't, be the last person I talk to. You could choke on that. I'm not talking to people anymore. No, they're no. natters. No, but every. And suddenly could be. there they are, your shoes, the shoes you put on. Suddenly there they are, your shoes, disembodied, put to one side. Those shoes that were full of hope, so many journeys unwalked. Now you, you a corpse, yellowing nails, suddenly in the ground, ritual and song and emptiness, hollowness. Those shoes and this the hope really embodied depressing. in those shoes. I wore black I mean, today. I was getting miserable. I'm making but, it up. <laughs> But talking about, you know, I have had the privilege because I worked for two years in a hospice before What's I went to university. Jump out a swan or a no, what? it's a crying angel, which oh, I believe is. Well, you're saying I'm morbid. You turn no, up here with crying well, angels. I was a goth, wasn't I? As, as predictably, of course you were um, a goth. Uh, but you of know, of course you were a goth. Yeah, but <laughs> what were they saying now? You just, uh, <laughs> I had the privilege of working for two years in a hospice before I went to university and sitting with people when they were dying, and uh, you know that actually probably informed my work more than anything. Seeing the spirit leave the body is... How do you mean? Because of what people say before they die. Um, and one thing I learned is they never regret what they did. You will regret nothing you did in your life. You will regret what you didn't do. That's the biggest lesson I learned. Why didn't I strangle more cats? Exactly. <laughs> Maybe. I love cats. Actually, one I of my books is called Psychic Cats, so be careful. Penguin. Not my finest hour, but... It, <laughs> <laughs> Psychic but cats, they do. not my finest but hour. But when That's you see, good. I mean, uh, this led my, me to my firm belief in an afterlife, things that I saw, people becoming very lucid before death, what they say, sometimes they see relatives around the deathbed, hearing about near-death experiences, which is another whole realm. I've written books cool. about near-death experiences. Well, people who've had near-death experiences, I've interviewed probably 
several hundred now and have had letters about it. And I've also met Ivan Alexander, who is a famous near-death experiencer, Anita Morjani, a beautiful lady who had a near-death experience. And they come back from this realm of the other side when they were clinically dead, brain dead, heart dead, and they saw something and they glimpsed a realm. They glimpsed basically a feeling of what you talk about, of interconnectedness and, and, and... what they also talk about is that they experience every every way that they impacted other people in their lives, which I think is very awesome thought. So we could be creating the kind of afterlife we experience right now. Every interaction you have and the impact you have on the people around you, you will you will feel it. So that's why they people often say is their punishment on the other side if somebody's been a serial killer or something like that. There isn't punishment as such, there's learning. So when they go to the other side, if they haven't had punishment in this life, they will experience what suffering they caused others to learn empathy for others, because that's what they lack, people who are very cruel. Um, But what they talk about is meeting departed loved ones, um, a feeling of of connectedness and all-knowingness. They have a life review. They go through a tunnel, typically. Near-death experiences are actually where afterlife research is currently really exciting we have dr sam Parnier in 2014 published a study which showed that consciousness can survive bodily death potentially by about three minutes and the interesting thing about dr sam Parnier, he doesn't actually How believe are they evaluating consciousness electro electromagnetic energy brain in dead, the brain brain dead completely brain dead mm. and heart dead but I, I know because my mother, as I said, she attempted suicide. She had a near-death experience herself, so I was very familiar with that. She would tell me that she was above her body and she could see them pumping her stomach. She she could see that. And I've had so many stories of people who have that experience. But most of the people who've had these experiences are worried that people think they're crazy and they've suppressed it. And I've been kind of a repository to collect these experiences and put them in books. Um, but also you've got to understand that the reason we're hearing so much about near-death experiences now is resuscitation techniques have improved so much because 50 years ago these people have died and taken their golden stories with them and now we're getting so many people talking about that they have died and they've glimpsed heaven, they've seen the other side and they come back and for me there are all these arguments, is it hallucination? Well hallucinations tend to be very random and depleting. So when people have hallucinations, they don't tend to feel really happy afterwards. People who have near-death experiences in 98% cases, they feel totally energized and like a new life and they typically change their life completely. I mean, in Anita Morjani, she was riddled with cancer. She had a near-death experience and she came back, the cancer was cured. And she now goes around the country talking about her experience of her time in heaven and what it taught her about this life. I think Near-death experiences can give us powerful lessons about what really matters in this life. And what I've learned, I've collated all these research and found categories and, and themes in all of them that are similar, regardless of culture, regardless of religion. Most fascinating are atheists who've had this happen to them, who have, it has completely transformed their belief in, in the possibility of an afterlife. What, and um, What uh, has there been in common then? Is there a sort of a, an archetypal near-death experience? And could you describe Typically, it? Typically, there's a separation from the body, um, uh, an out-of-body experience, which you can have separate from a near-death experience. And then there's always a drawing towards the light. I mean, it is a bit like the film Ghost, you know, Patrick Swayze. But that, that film is a reason, you know, the love yeah, inside, you take it with me. Consciousness, the film The love Ghost. inside. You take it with me. Isn't that beautiful? It's a lovely idea. I'm, I'm not crying. Don't make anyway, yourself <laughs> cry with bloody when, ghosts. No, but no. Well, lots of people cry. Your son's cry. out there. He's got his head in his hands because he's, he's watching his He's had his, his head mum. in his hands all his life with me. <laughs> that poor boy has spent his 
Oh, Apart from today, today, when he offered God to drive knows me, how he's learned how to play the piano. <laughs> <laughs> he's been covering his face. No, I'm a big embarrassment. You, it's funny because I'm a lovely mum. No, no. Um, but anyway, what I was saying. Anyway, no, through this, a tunnel. You, we were getting into a lovely archetypical definition, and then you sidelined off into ghost and I nearly know, crying. I know. I know. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, anyway, but I'm saying these themes, these, on, there's, there's a reason. The tunnel of light, the tunnel of light. The tunnel of light. You go through a tunnel of light and you typically are met by spirits, angels, departed loved ones. Some near-death experiences I've found that, that people are met by people they don't know have died. And then they come back from their near-death experience and, and talk about what's happened. And they didn't actually know that the people they've met in the tunnel of light have actually died. And that that's kind of... How do you mean? Well, you wouldn't know... Well, somebody that you knew from your childhood, for example, that you've met and you have lost touch with. Glenn Dainty. Yeah, I mean... He... What are you doing in this tunnel of light? And you cheated at sports day. Those would be my two announcements. So, uh... I, I haven't finished my tunnel. Oh, sorry, mate. Sorry. Sorry, and then then you go to then you a real and you have a life review where you see your life in reverse, which is all the concept of time being backwards in spirit. You know there is no concept of time in spirit. We try to tend to think of the afterlife and the other side in human terms, and that really annoys me about our movement. And it, it become you know materialistic spiritualist. You know you almost get that that they have a they they put human values on the other side. Yeah, no, but I felt that a little bit when you said if you were a psychopath who killed loads of people that you would have lessons in empathy in the afterlife. I thought that was the imposition of a rather humanistic understanding of sort of evil because sometimes I generally I don't know, but like it feels to me like when people transgress against our human codes that usually they've they've been cultivated in a particular way that you know it's hard to uh, in a sense I'm believing less and less in individual culpability because I feel people are so much a consequence of their environment and it's, it's almost like a malfunction within the unit of humanity mm. somewhat mm. but go on carry on with that thing but I'm just just it. reporting because I haven't had a near-death experience myself um what I have I've seen from the people who've written to me and the research that I've done and the research that is going on in the University of Southampton, I believe, um, into near-death studies. Good place to do it. <laughs> and it's also <laughs> in find New- yourself there. It's in New York. <laughs> It'd be a relief. It's a joke about Southampton. It's a nice place. But there's also it's it's, it's in com- combination with with universities all over the world. Um, not universities, um, um, research centres all over the world and hospitals, and they're doing several thousand studies now. Because the reason they started this study is that Sam Parnier, who pioneered a lot of resuscitation techniques, he was noticing that people were coming back with these stories, and they're all so similar. And he just thought, this is data and I'm going to record it. As I said, he doesn't actually believe in afterlife. He thinks that there's some medical explanation. Oh, but like he, the sounds of old Sam Pioneer, Pioneer. I don't believe in this, but here it is. Yeah, it but he, wanted, right. he said, you've got to study it. What's happening here? Teresa, what do you think about um, like ayahuasca and DMT, like powerful hallucinogens? A lot of people describe um, experiences that are not unlike what you're talking about. They say like they pass through a domed-like True. area. Then they meet like sort of machine elves and pixies and stuff like that. So, yeah, yeah, frank, but there's frankly not... brilliant. It does. <laughs> yes, yeah, psychedelics. Yeah, that's another thing. Um, uh... Have you been taking them this morning? No, never touched them. Never touched any of them. Any of those all my life. Never. Do you been have intro- sort of a lucid inner experience? I get high from life, really. You're a high off it. I've never really, I've never drunk. And, and I, when I have taken drugs, people like, you know, at university. You, you listening to this, Robbie? <coughs> but it That's didn't do anything to Teresa's me. Teresa's son's I've outside I've got a square watching. head. I didn't do, do anything. you mean you've got a square head? Because I think I get a high. So taken drugs just now. I, ha- I get high from life, from looking at a leaf. I know this sounds silly, from, from a sunset, a sunrise. That's no, I know so what you beautiful. mean, and that's a sense of wonder that we should yeah. travel through life with. Only this morning I saw a horse and I thought, well, if I didn't already have a 
previous understanding of horses, I would think, my God, look at that thing. It's unbelievable. It's amazing. It's only that we've sort of trained ourselves to look at stuff as ordinary and sort of redundant and mundane. This person that taught me to meditate, like I said, sometimes in my meditative experience, I feel like I'm encountering consciousness that is impersonal, different, different beings and stuff. And he went, well, look around. Everything's amazing. Look at these trees. What are you really interested in? Novelty? Just novelty, just a new thing. Oh, look, there's a spirit, a ghost, a dragon. Who cares? You mm. know, if there is no limit on reality, structures such as time are clearly impositions due to the limitations of our human experience and our understanding of entropy and atrophy, that things fall apart, that the world is, exp- the universe is expanding, and the tendency of material is sort of a, mm. a kind of deterioration. But our reading of reality cannot be a total reading of reality. And there's clearly intersections between realms. There are clearly moments where re- where information travels in ways that are outside of our prescribed ex- understanding of reality. That's all I want to put on the map. I'm not That's asking that. people to believe. I'm just asking them to open to the mind, their mind to the possibility this could have something to it. That's all I've ever asked. Just open your mind that there could and be stop magic. stop being cruel to animals. That's two things. There could be magic and stop being cruel to animals that's two things you've asked for Shreed let's go through some make sure that we've got uh, like that we've discussed enough stuff because we guess how long we've been talking one hour do you believe that no time flies doesn't it there is time is an illusion I know you don't need to don't you time is an illusion me our time is an illusion you I know, I know. You're you're very evolved. <laughs> you're but so, you you're so lovely. I love your mum element because that's because you're a bit like yes, dear, yes, Russell. You're <laughs> very <wasn't>... important. <laughs> um, so right, let's have a look. Right, oh, oh, yeah, you're like this. Are most people in the medium and clairvoyance trade faking it just to make money? If precognition is not something we don't know how to, oh, fully I'm going yet? to cause a lot of pain here and say yes. You think there are a lot of hucksters and charlatans? I have been around this. All my life. And there's a lot of... Um, and I would have been guilty of... My, I mean, when I wanted to make money when I was at uni, I would do tarot card readings and astrology. And it was basically encyclopedic knowledge because I've got a bit of photographic memory and I can remember things very quickly. And, you know, it's very easy to do a cult... You know, you, they're all archetypes, the tarots. Oh. And, and th- what I found then was this eagerness to believe and that's what worried me. I'm dying to believe. Yeah. But that's that's worrying because then if you follow the wrong person... I mean, it's great if people follow you because what you're saying is beautiful. Nice, but what about I? if you follow people who have got, you know, anyway. Bad but intentions, yeah, there are, crafty buggers, slippery eels. And so I have said, I have never ever claimed to have those powers in my Hold on, so what were you doing on Russian X Factor for psychics then? I wasn't on... <laughs> you said <laughs> that I'm you saying... went to Russia to be on X Factor for psychics. Russell, you quote me. One of my super fans flew me over but having read one of my books. Uh, I like this woman. Yes. Theresa Chong. You'll but, get her here. Uh, yes. It was of basically. Course. Well, you know, Oleg. I do have a lot of my books because the paranormal obviously is not so much here in the UK, but overseas. I have a big readership about what I write about because I bring some academic credibility to it, I hope, because you've got to realize in my, my field, um, I have been had the blessing somehow of going to Cambridge. I don't know how it happened. Oh, yeah. Um, Let's not forget that. You've done theology at yeah, King's College. Yeah, so it gives a kind of a credibility. What is theology? Like the theology, study of various scriptures? Yes. Tell but us it's it also again. Well, it's also, it's a study of, of the Bible, the Old Testament, Mostly the, the Bible. Testament, and you learn a... Can you have a look at the Quran or... Yes, you do. You can choose within that. It's really, it's basically religion. It's what you're studying now. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, um, and absolutely loved it. But what it did is it, it actually, in a way, it stopped me wanting to go into the church. Why? 
because I just found that I couldn't say that Christ was the only path when all these other religions are so beautiful too. Yeah, I wonder yeah. what Jesus would have thought about that. He would have. I did want to be pretty the first cool, didn't he? You wanted to be the first. Actually, you'd have been a I good did. female I, vicar. I, it's I, not I too late. We'll just start a church no, that's a bit more expansive. I couldn't preach something I don't believe. I, I have to be authentic in what I'm doing. And, and when I lost my faith, in a way, not not in Christianity as such. I still believe Christianity is beautiful. It's good, isn't it? Well, if you harm no one, right, yeah, and it, it makes you happy, people. religion's great. But for me, I kind of stepped uh, not out, outside of religion and saw that all paths, all religions are paths to something spiritual and beautiful. And in a way, all of us need to create our own individual religion. Yes. And take bits from each religion. I mean, like, I take bits from each religion to create my own. Maybe Chungism will be born one day. Or every, and I say, well, you have your own religion. Take bits from each religion that work for you and make you feel happy and content. And leave the bits you don't like out. Yes. Well, I didn't like that bit. That was a bit misogynistic. <laughs> well, don't do but that we, then. We all, we're this born bit's alone. homophobic. Yeah, don't do that. We're born alone and we die alone and you find your own. What? We <laughs> You said there was going to be a ton of light and I was going to it's, see people from sports well, day. No, I you, want a ton of light. You find your own path to heaven. And uh, anyway, back to, to, to Russia. I went there because my fans are very passionate. I, I hate that word fans. They're well, not my readers. Using it. No one's making you. Yeah? Readers. Readers. My readers are, are passionate about wanting to know the meaning of life and everything. And um, Although it is quite funny because my name's Teresa Chung and I think there's... I like a, that name, Teresa Chung. Well, there is a very famous porn star, I think, in China. Well, that might be it. And no, yeah. <laughs> I, I sometimes get mail for her, and it's a misunderstanding of the meaning word heaven. Where do you live? 1920? <laughs> Why do I'm writing you letters? No, on the I internet? get messages. No, this is, this is 10 years ago when I was first out there. It was very funny. I think, imagine... The Dear Teresa Chung, <laughs> I enjoyed your latest bra video. How's she going to cope? <laughs> Teresa, will you help me transcend to the next dimension, please? But can um, you imagine the Here's a picture of me in the nut. Imagine the disappointment when they order one of my books and Angel called my name and, you know, it's not quite what they, they hoped. Um, <laughs> yeah, because a porn film called An Angel Called My Name. But anyway, that's, that's, that's just, just, just that. an aside. I do, oh, no, the, re disgusting. the reason I was there is that overseas there is a lot, of, lot more interest in the paranormal than there is right here, right now. But you were going back to the fraud thing. And so what I did is I made it my mission to try and find people who I felt were the real deal. So I went to the... To the to the grassroots, to the to people on the front lines who are not doing it for money. Who are these people? People who just do it because it's a calling. And I did find someone for uh, one book I recently wrote called Claire Broad, who's a professional medium, and I've championed her fiercely because I went to I, I spied on them. I went to have I went to you some spied of, on well, them. No, I went to some of I her her them. demonstrations, and you've got to remember Spying? there's a whole. What did you wear? Black. Did so, you have a hat on? <laughs> There's a whole network of spiritualist churches around the UK where twice a week, three times a week, they have demonstrations of mediumship. Now, this all sounds very medieval, but it's not. It's done. It's actually beautiful. What they're trying to do for the people come is give proof of survival that some aspect of a person's spirit has gone on after to Which death. Which is nice. Yeah, I'm all right with that. Yeah. Guess what I went to, like in America once. I went to like uh, it was in Inglewood and everyone else there was African-American. So like, and there was a bit where you had to come up the front and the preacher was like, oh, I'm going to heal you. I'm going to heal you. Mm. And all that. I thought, I'll have a bit of this. So I went up the front and like he said, and all the women that had been before me, he was pushing them and they were like going down on the ground and their eyes were going back in their head and they were rolling about. He gave me a push. I didn't feel nothing. It was just the same as being me usually, except someone was pushing me in the head. And then he looked at me like a bit like, 
come on, mate, do us a favour. So I went, oh, oh, But didn't no. you feel there was a part of you that so, wanted to go along with it? Just totally, for I did show. go along with it because mm, I didn't want to ruin the vibe. See, that's what I, I, I say, that, that, that why there are so many frauds in this business. There's no regulation. And again, that's what I, again, the last five years I've made it my life's work to work with scientists to try and get some scientific credentials into this so that somebody can have a certificate saying I'm scientifically validated at what I do. Like they've passed that test on the internet where they've judged the pictures correctly. They've shown at least that they can predict yes. what's coming up. and it's not within the realms of impossibility because the grief model at the moment, how people are getting grief therapy, isn't working. People don't want to move on. They want to have a spiritual connection with somebody who's departed. Right. And a medium, a good medium, and you've got to remember, some of these mediums train 20 years. It's not easy. Typically, so, they... Matt Claire Broad, why did you think she was good then? What did she do? Could she, you think she can talk to well, number of people reasons. in other dimensions? She is very happy person she has a happily married mother of two she had a very lucrative career at um an advertising agency she has no reason to do this absolutely mm. no reason to go to the churches she's not insane either if you talk to her she's really really grounded <laughs> That's the best thing you could say she's not insane but she's not she's not mad um and i went that to some... be on the certificate not, not insane <laughs> no, but like do you mean that but do you Teresa, did you experience her doing stuff that was pretty magic like yes think, i did oh, and on, i thought like? well for example she was able to to say somebody had um the name of somebody who'd passed in spirit and what they died of and how many brothers they had with somebody you. was adopted not with me no i think no you don't get but what she did what i saw is that the whole room was getting comfort and for me mm. if you're getting comfort and a feeling that maybe there's a possibility of a spiritual connection ongoing after death which is basically Christianity isn't it Christ died he was born again that's basically mediumship isn't it he lives sort in everybody's heart but don't you think that what the that symbol means is that the material flesh man must die and become the spiritual man yeah. in order that you can connect to ulterior and sublime realities be born again be yeah. born again unto yourself moment to moment the you that you used to be is dead you are no longer that person that you are born again born again well, otherwise what is it like them people that tribe you said that if they sleep for more than 15 well, minutes they've got you, to get a new name if you think of yourself basil as, that's you by the way you've been asleep since five that's what i try to say about about life after death you think of yourself as a 10 year old boy you were you were alive then but that boy's done yeah but it's gone that boy oh come on let's get him back no but so yeah i know but he's gone but you're still here you've carried on and that's what death is. It's just the final shedding of the body where you'll you're still carry on. The you that is you, that was you through all the stages of your life, will carry on. Do you think that there is a sort of a place? Do you think there's a space for this self, for this transcendent self? Yes, in some invisible, magical realm. Yes, I do. I do. Are you going to be all right? Hmm? <laughs> <laughs> yes, it will be. You're, but the thing is, people think that it's paradise and you just stop. That's a common misconception. All the people who have had afterlife visions or travel to the other side and near that experience say it's very busy on the other side. And often our departed loved ones don't contact us because they're busy. They're carry There's a lot to do over there. It's, the, uh, the evolution is eternal. And for people who struggle with that, the scientists, the skeptics, I say we all accept that space is eternal, right? That's just taught in schools. It never ends. How do we know? And why can't our spirits also be eternal, just like space? You know, sci mm. science is constantly throwing things in our faces that we can't actually prove because they say you can't prove life after death. You can't prove. How do we know space doesn't end? It might yeah. just stop, maybe brick wall, you know, <laughs> <laughs> send you back again. I don't know. Talk to me more about this psychic cat book of yours. Oh, yes, actually. It, I, I, oh, God, that bombed. Um, <laughs> But it was 
annoying because it was Penguin nice Books person. as well. And, you know... Thanks, Ada. Your new publisher's out there. She looks as upset as your son. Lindsay Mayhew, she's, she's my books for me for publicity. She's brilliant. She's she's very wise. Um, But no, no... Um, it's a shame because that was a Penguin book. <laughs> Which no, every like author's that. dream, author of author's dream, but they, I wanted to write about big, powerful things, and they put me because I'm a woman of a certain age. What do you mean by that? Probably own six cats. You know that they put you think that's well, you're the in audience. The category. Yes, and I'm. I hope people don't think I'm nuts. Well, they probably will. Some people will. Yes, of course. Yes, of course. Of course they will. Of course they will. That's the risk, isn't it, of talking about stuff that's unconventional, or, or at least, you know, there are some conventions, but like. Uh, Stuff that's un- I'm not here material. For the people that write to me and the beautiful people who write to me. Not and, including and those ones that are accidentally write to you who actually meant to speak to those, Teresa but, Chung, the porn star. I mean, 10 years ago when I had my Sunday Times, I got mailbags this big of people who have had paranormal experiences. And a lot of them said, I've never told anyone this before. I'm not mad. This happened to me and it's made me rethink my life. Something is either a coincidence, an angel sighting, a dream that came true. An afterlife encounter, an afterlife vision, all these things that have made them think there's something more to this life than meets the eye. How could there not be something more? How could there not be? Exactly. How don't could know it why be that here. we perceive all reality, all of it? That you know, people used to think that in medieval times, and then we went, "Oh no!" First of all, oh right, okay, so the Earth goes around the sun. Oh, okay, space is limitless. Oh, okay, there are smaller and smaller particles and molecules. Oh, there's invisible energies that hold things together. In the physical realm, in the world that we can double-blind test, there are f- constant discoveries and incremental learning and it will be the same in all fields of understanding especially those for which we lack the conventional instruments the sensory instruments where there are spectrums unknown absolutely i mean i think that infinite possibility is what i always talk about and i i think one day actually we might even be able to download human consciousness i mean i think we could get to that state you know looking way ahead that it might even in the way be we already to... have done haven't we i mean how did our, our consciousness get into our bodies how's it got in here well, Teresa? where has it come from where is it going well that's spark. what is life what's that spark and like what is death death is a miracle as well because it's a cycle of rebirth and having as i said watched people pass it's like a light goes out and what's left is the body is just clothes. It's it's like it's just a coat that somebody was wearing and you know some part of them has gone on. Well, listen, you, I think you're a really lovely woman. I'm very grateful for your time. I feel a bit tripped out, do you? We've talked. Yes, it's good. <laughs> <laughs> I can see I'm going to get criticism, but hey. What do you mean? Who from? Oh, when you write about the paranormal, you're always going to get Don't worry people. about that. Yeah. You get criticism if you wrote about cricket or mice. You know, exactly. people are always criticising everything. Or psychic cats, yeah. Well, yeah, that I think is some deserved <laughs> criticism there. I don't know what you but were, I'm a dog, I I know a what dog you were now. thinking. Right, well, write a do- book about wise dogs, the well, canine wisdom. Advice from dogs. But well, dogs give you a love. I mean, the thing is with dogs. I love they, my dog. They love you what, yeah. whatever you are. It doesn't, you don't, it's unconditional love. I mean, that's for me the definition of heaven, unconditional love. And in some ways we get it through our animals. And I actually think when people do bond with dogs that maybe they've given up with their own species. And <laughs> I don't know, but it's, it's like you, you have a validation from a pet and an, an animal that is truly beautiful. I think you'd be good agony, aren't I am. That's, that's what why I do. These people this keep writing these bloody letters. Well, I, I from nineteen fifty. <laughs> I got a young readership now, honestly, oh, go and on. of course with my dalliance with the Church of Jediism, I tried to help the Jedi Knights. 
write a book. I saw this. It's in the research. I didn't yeah. bring it up because I'm trying to usher the conversation into areas of... Of, of more grounded, yes. Exactly. But they thought, spirit. Don't bring up bloody Luke Skywalker. Well, no, the Force, isn't it what you well, talk about? of course, about? I understand the yeah. metaphor. Of, it's, and yeah, everybody it's a says I'm metaphor. a Jedi. I'm not a Jedi. I haven't actually watched all the Star Wars films. I oh, God. That's I like a Christian I'm, who's not read the Bible. Exactly. But I wanted to help them have a book and they weren't in a position to do it. And luckily I'm in a position to go to publishers and say, hey, give them... Give him a chance. Give him a Jedi book. Yeah. Yeah, and we went on to Piers Morgan, didn't we? And uh, um, How was, was that? Oh, he's got a closed mind, hasn't he? I think possibly. <laughs> but it was fun. But what was good is he started to have a lightsaber battle. And as I said, religion should make people come alive. And mm. why is religion so dreary? And spirituality can sometimes be so dreary. Yeah. It should be happy. It should it be a right laugh, should yes. it? Yes. Yes. And that's what the Jedi Knights do. It's fun. <laughs> who doesn't who doesn't want to be a Jedi Knight? Yeah, you're right. Well, Darth Vader. True, he's the dark side of the Force, which we need. <laughs> cool, that was a test we, to see if you've even picked the up the basics. Side. We need the dark side of the Force, though. You need, just as we need day and we need night. We need them. We need Darth Vader. Without Darth Vader, how would Luke be tested? Well, it's like a woman screams in childbirth before the child's born. There's pain and then there's, you know, that's... My wife didn't. She was said like golly did, and things like that. Did she? Astonishing. Were you doing meditation and mindfulness? Yeah, with she her? told me to shut up. I was chanting. I was like, oh, Hare Krishna, all this <laughs> stuff. She was like, shut up. That was the only impolite thing she said during the labour of two little daughters. Oh. Hmm. oh. Teresa, thank you so thank much you. for your time and for your bold and innocent optimism and for bringing love and joy into the world. I try, which is what all we can do, isn't it? <laughs> no, we can succeed. Succeed. <laughs> well done. Thank you. <clears throat> Thank you for listening to Under the Skin. I hope you enjoyed that episode. Remember to let me know what you thought of it on Instagram. Tag me in your Insta stories uh, at True Russell Brand or tweet me at Rusty Rockets with the hashtag Under the Skin. Next week, Douglas Rushkoff, media theorist and author of Team Human. He was fascinating. You're going to love that episode. Also, check out some of the old ones. Lawrence Scott, he was brilliant and beautiful. John Ronson, Brian Cox, he was in season one. Sophie Scott, also from season season one. Please subscribe to this podcast and share it. And if you want to come and see me live, check out russellbrand.com, particularly the show in Henley. There's a few tickets left for that, and I want you to come. Get my book Mentors if you want it. Check out Netflix special. And remember, we're going to that uh, platform Luminary soon. Uh, so you should learn about that. If you want to sign up early with my personal link, go to luminary.link forward slash Russell. Have a look at them here, Luminary, on Twitter and Instagram at here, Luminary for lots of updates on what they're doing and how that new platform's going to work. All right, well, thank you very much for joining me. I hope you've enjoyed this episode. Stay subscribed, and I look forward to talking to you again soon. Bye-bye.